0: We would like to acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of the lands and waters where we're recording from, the Awabakal and Wanarrua peoples. We acknowledge the Awabakal and Wanarrua elders, both past and present.
1: Full-time is here, John. it's coming around, it's coming back, he's got to get it! John's runner.
2: There he again! There's 20
0: seconds on the clock. Albert, he will play 21 metres away. Down the block, there's John. Inside for Albert. Goal! Albert scores. Elbert Albert will Newcastle have won the great final! Yeah. Albert is over! Elbert has been
2: beaten by Newcastle!
0: Coming to you live from Awabakul and Wanarua lands, this is the Bay 53 Steel City Podcast, part of the Sports Best Friends podcasting network and brought to you by our good friends A-plus Contracting and Poly Welding. The women's season is well and truly underway. The men's season is less than a week away. It's footy season. And we've managed to drag someone else in along for the ride again this week. So turn off the lights, put the candles on, and enjoy a special episode of the Bay 53 Steel City podcast. Now, I know that we've already had Steve Mascord on, which was a big uh, thrill for, for you and I, Brado. He's an A-lister in uh, rugby league circles, but I think we've got an A-plus lister here who's joining us today. I reckon he might just trump even Steve.
2: We've managed to pull out the duane of Nights Podcasting, mate, the absolute OG. What a legend.
0: A pioneer. He, um, I, I think in a lot of ways, he certainly has uh, inspired, you know, a lot of the chat that we've had, one of the reasons that we wanted to do it. Um, he's here, he's ready, he's willing, he's waiting in the background. We don't want to talk him up too much. Um, Harry Ramage, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Guys, I couldn't tell you how happy I am to be... um. Talking purely Knights rugby league on a podcast again. Um, big shout out to you guys for sort of, you know, reviving and having such a, a fantastic podcast that's sort of really taken off in the last few weeks, and is is really finding your niche. And I've enjoyed every episode.
0: I think um, I think I definitely speak for Brettow uh, on behalf of Brettow as well when I say. And and can I say as well, you didn't you wouldn't have heard it, but we we've changed up our intro to this I've, I've gone back through the archives and i found the steel city podcast uh, oh, well, opening me. and we're, that's what that's what we've opened up that's what we've opened up with today but um, um i think one of the thrills for us was sort of and we don't want to get you know too much into patting each other on the back we were, we were genuinely chuffed when um when we did hear that you were a, a listener and um you were very positive with what we were doing
1: yeah, I mean, like as soon as I seen that you guys were sort of had something in the something in the working, so it was yeah, subscribe straight away, have it have it <laughs> drop into the playlist. So it was not really ever a choice or a, any other thought of no, I won't. So yeah, really happy that you know we've got great nice content back in our lives, and we're like six days away from the first game as we record this. Now, I, feel like
2: we've, I feel like we've kind of cheated, but we've sort of it as the nights are good. Poor Harry had to go through the dark days with his pod. We, we've sort of <laughs> <them>. <laughs> Now that's so,
1: that's so true. There were me and there were some dark days in that, the 2016. Early, early days were really hard.
0: Look, before we do jump into it, Harry, I guess, you know, since we've got you, it, is it going is it, it, it is a good opportunity to revisit that just a little bit, and I don't want to sort of make too big a deal. But how did you, how did you handle that? Twenty sixteen, you know, there's only, there was ultimately only one win to talk about for the season. How do you get yourself up each week to to review another night's performance as the losses started to pile up?
1: I don't know. I think the more and more that I that it happened, it was like. I started, you know, I kept watching the games purely, not even from a fan perspective. At some point, like I even like tried to put like a like a coaches or a or a front office hat on, you know. To some point, to you know, you're watching games by that point to see who can actually play and 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 who can't, and and the results almost became irrelevant pretty quickly. Um, and yeah, that's a lot of it, and. That's sort of how you sort of maintain the hope in those bad times. I mean, really, you're really looking at, oh, the Saifidi twins look like they've got a bit of promise about them and, mm. and, and days like that. And then, then you have like 62 nil days against Cronulla. And honestly, you oh, you don't know if you can get off the canvas and watch a game a week later. But, I mean, fan is derived from the word fanatic and mm. that's what keeps drawing you back at the end of it all. So. But, I mean, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was, yeah, it's quite consuming the twenty sixteen season as a whole. I want
0: to, I want to ask another question, and just before Brett, I'll let you jump in as well after this. But um, I mean, back in the day when you were sort of first doing podcasting. That was several years. A lot sort of changed in that landscape then. Have you, I mean, how do you sort of feel about it in the way, um, you know, rugby league fan-made content has sort of uh, developed or changed in in those years from when you
1: first started doing it to what you're seeing today? I've found that it's much more, like to get the, the correct gear for, you know, lack of a better term, to get that is sort of more, you know, it's more readily available and, like, technology's come a long way and things like that, you know, to be able to record podcasts remotely and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I sort of didn't have that capacity to do it unless I, you know, snuck into the Fox Sports recording studio and and dialed out, you know, which I did with BrettO a couple of times. Um, Yeah, that's, that's the big thing that, you know, you can hop on a Skype or a Zoom call and just record it. And if you've just got a decent microphone at home, you can actually put out a pretty decent podcast with minimal sort of, um, you know, expenditure. That's sort of been the one thing that, I, that I've noticed with podcast wise. And I think as well, I think, um, yeah, like social media, it like it's not just about having account. Like people are, you know, more or less just content creators. These days, like it's just taken on a life of its own. Mm.
2: Yeah, I remember. Um, yeah, when we did a few of those those ones, Harry. and, Yeah, you said you dialed out from Fox Sports, and um, the sort of reality of it was that to me, it was a bit of like, is this really something that can be done? You know, like I was like, oh wow, this is really fantastic. But now it's just like run right of the mill. You can plug your microphone into your computer and yeah, you know, get on as many Skype calls as you want to do and. Yeah, get your content out, which, which, you know, it makes it easy for everybody, but it also means the market's flooded with a million podcasts like us doing stupid stuff like this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they sort of call it the democratisation of, um, of content in a lot of ways because um, I don't want to you know sort of try to pretend to get too technical, like I understand it overly, but be- once you improve the means of access – uh, there's a lot more choice there, but it also allows for opportunities of content that you otherwise would have missed if not for the for that ability to get yourself out into the po- out into the um population.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of really become a thing on YouTube with you know big sports like European supper and stuff where there was a lot of money to be made, and none of that would have happened without the, the way the technology has come about, mm. where, yeah, just some guys in a, you know in a very small studio. With very limited budget and yeah, put out content that makes them you know, thousands of dollars a week on YouTube,
0: gentlemen. I um I want to sort of take a step back just um very briefly before we sort of do get onto all things um rugby league. Um, it's been an interesting week for uh, you know Australian sort of sport, but more specifically Australian cricket. Uh, over the past uh, few days three fairly significant events have taken place um, um, the first one is really australia's playing test cricket or playing cricket um for the first time in over two decades in in pakistan i think i think we're none for five um in our first innings um after pakistan put a fairly uh, declared after their, their first innings now that, that was a fairly positive note but was sort of more somber note was then the passing Uh, of Rod Marsh, aged 74. Um, I only found out recently he was the first Australian wicketkeeper to uh, get a a test century. But look, I I think from a personal perspective, um, perhaps for me the more significant event uh, in the past um, 36 hours has been the passing of uh, Shane Warne, aged 52, one of the great, one of the greatest cricketers that ever played the game in in one hundred and forty five years of uh, international cricket, um, yeah, just absolutely shocking, shocking news to wake up to on a Saturday morning.
2: Yeah, the um, the term trans- transcendent sort of gets thrown around a lot, but he really was a transcendent sportsman. You know, obviously cricket is a niche market, despite the fact that a billion people in India are obsessed with it. But I've seen a lot of stuff on things like ESPN, um, stuff throughout Europe that don't play cricket, where they're talking about this this God of cricket, this man that everybody in the world knew, and you sort of start to understand the reality of how big he was for the game.
1: I um, I said to a group of guys yesterday morning, um, this immediately brought me back to Kobe Bryant's death in the NBA. Absolutely. Um, it's, he, this is our version of it. Um, I sort of woke up at quarter past three Saturday morning, um, my wife and I did, um, and she was checking on her phone. The baby had sort of just woken up and she just went, holy shit, Shane Moore's dead. Um, and I was like, what? She's like, Shane Moore's died. And then all of a sudden, her grandmother messaged her, and like she's the biggest Warnie fan of all time, and like she was inconsolable. It was like a family member had died. Um, yeah, it's fifty-two years old, having a heart attack, and just gone. Like, it's it's unbelievable. It still doesn't actually sound real that real, Shane Warn is dead. Um, mm. For me, he is the greatest all round. Package the game scene like there's no there's, really yes there's no there's I mean there's there's not been a better bowler than Shane Warne yeah uh, even though he does sit second to Murley on the on the list Shane yeah Warne, but you said
2: bowler not Chucker.
1: yeah <laughs> shout out um, to all of Lankan fans I think a great Lord of all, but never got a never got that Test hundred but to average in the early twenties and. Have the most test runs without a century. Um, he's a good feather in his cap. And
2: shout out to Mark Richardson for taking that catch in Perth.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and he was an elite slips fieldman. <laughs> like, yeah, people like forget that. People forget yeah, that he was
2: outstanding at first slip.
1: I, yeah, I I mean, people talk about sobers being a, you know, the complete, but me, like, I don't know what you say about Shane Warner as a cricketer, man. Like, just a genius.
0: It is funny what you say, um, Harry, just about that that all-round complete package. It, it's always interesting to me these things that do come out about a, a, an international sports person's life in their passing. I, um, I'd always assumed that, the Steve Waugh captaincy was just a fait accompli, essentially a, a, tra- a, a an, an anticipated transition from Mark Taylor to Steve. What I only found out over the weekend was that uh, Steve was the second choice for the, for the test selectors, but the first choice for the then Australian cricket board. The, the test selectors had actually rubber stamped their recommendation to the board to make uh, Shane Warne the Australian cricket captain at the time and the board essentially uh, did their further due diligence and, uh, and overturned that upon uh, interviewing both men for the, for the role.
1: I think what a lot of that was, was basically just the the PR side of it. Like oh. Mourney had had the, yep. you know, he'd had some odd sort of off field stuff, like nothing, you know, I mean, he, he didn't kill anyone, mm. um, but you know, he had the, John the Bookie incident, um, things like that. And yeah, it was I mean, just too much of a PR risk. And like I, I think the board were right, but Yeah, they
2: were definitely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's just the way it, it sort of had to be kind of thing. I mean, from a pure cricket selection team wise, like the the it's one of those situations where both parties can be right. You know, the board were right to protect the image of the game. But the selectors were also right, and probably acknowledging that he's probably the best skipper to lead the side, like on the field at least. Yeah, that's
2: that's a big point. That's what people don't sort of think about. Shane was one of the smartest minds in the history of cricket. A lot well, of the stuff that his captain's got credit for comes straight out of the back of Shane's head.
0: I, I certainly didn't appreciate just the genius of him as a as a tactical sort of uh, cricketer. I'd I, I put my hand up and admit that.
2: Gilly, Gilly tells the story of standing with Warney, like obviously a lot of times, uh, slipping wicket keeper. And Gilly just saying that there's stuff that he didn't even think was possible about the game of cricket that Warney would tell him about. And they would then pass that on to, on to Tugger and then on to, on, on to Punter. You know, just stuff that the the common man, even, you know, greats of Gilly's standard, didn't even think about. And Warney's just like, oh, no, we can do that. This, this is how we'll get this black out. And, um, yeah, you sort of marvel at, you know, what sort of captain he could be. But, yeah, the board made the right decision. He can't be the captain of Australia with with the stuff that was floating around in the background.
0: Can I attempt to sort of make – and this is a very, very thin connection. But uh, a statue guy posted on his uh, Instagram feed, at Goat um, just in – in... That's
2: a throwback?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. In um, in passing, or in a comment uh, of Shane's passing, he said Shane Warne uh, was the Andrew Johns of of cricket. He, he was a winner. He was um, his own man, and uh, and he was the greatest. Um, fair comparison. I'll leave that to you, Harry, because they both had their fail. They certainly both had their failings off the field but when it came to being on the field, as you just said, they saw things that no one else would see and and they wanted to drag their team to to victory no
1: matter what got in their way. I think in some ways that's probably accurate, absolutely. Um, yeah, if you want to turn it to a, a Knights-style thing, they, um, yeah, similar traits where they were showmen, they were, you get them on the right day, you're just, yeah, good, you're not stopping them. And they had the ability to, you know, the the ships rose with the tide around them. Yeah, you know, like that's that's yeah. And and they were just winners. They they
2: were just winners. You know, they would just do whatever it took to win. They were just winners.
0: Gentlemen, I I know there's a lot. We'll sort of wrap it up on on Warnie's passing because he he really he he was the greatest, and you you could you actually could talk about him for hours on end. Um, I'm sort of going to put you both on the spot a little bit. I mean, there are too many to pick from, but just as it comes to mind, your um, favourite on-field Shane Warne moment. Um, mine
2: would probably be the South African tour. When he had Cullinan all over the shop, not one moment, but just a, a batsman of that standard would come out and warning, and he knew the flipper was coming, and warning would show him the ball. I put the flipper in my hand, and he still couldn't stop it. Yeah. Like that, that's unbelievable.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, for me it was um, ninety nine World Cup semi final. Um, after reading Adam Gilchrist's book, warning the. Previous tour of the West Indies actually got dropped from the test team because he was really struggling after shoulder surgery and he, his sort of confidence was really low. And in that World Cup, um, there was sort of a whisper that Warney was actually going to retire from one-day cricket um, if they yeah,
2: right. sort yep.
1: of lost that semi-final and sort of exited because they started the tournament really poorly. There was a whisper that he was going to retire and in Gilchrist's book, he just speaks about just the way he sort of just willed them after they only they bowled out for two thirteen, and you you know you, you're dead in the water like two thirteen. Even in those days, it's like yep, we're we're in a big trouble. And the way and they were none for forty eight, and he just he basically all but replicated the Gatting ball to get Herschel Gibbs. Um, and just watch his celebration after it. He's just screaming, come on, come yeah. on. Yeah. And then he gets Gary Kirsten really quickly after that. And, yeah, it's just one of the great limited overs spells. And he that was an example of he just wasn't letting them lose the game. They didn't win the game, but they didn't lose the game either on a technicality. But it was mm. just, mate, that was just him at his him
2: at his best. I've kind of forgotten about him in one-day cricket. The amount of times that Australia would be in trouble, you know, we'd make you know, 220, 230, and the the chase would be 2 for 150, and more he'd come back for his, his second crack and he'd get two or three quick ones and change the entire game. Everyone mm. sort of thinks about, his, you know, his test exploits because...
1: He did that. He did the same in the '96 World Cup semi final. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. That, that's exactly against the West Indies. That, exactly. that was the collapse of all collapses. Yeah,
2: yeah. But he did, he did that plenty of times here in Australia too. Where yeah, yeah we we'd be on a flat deck, there nothing, and we didn't make enough runs, and they'd be cruising. Like teams like the West Indies with like Carl Hoop, and that'd be cruising. And he'd just come in and just knock over two or three quickly, and the whole whole game would be changed.
0: Um. I think for me, it, I, I actually just can't go past the ball of the century. I think um, I think that is uh, just a quintessential Warn. Um, it was uh, also the, maybe
2: the Richards commentating.
0: Oh, it, it, like there's the, it's it's almost the perfect sporting clip. Um, yeah. You know, the first deliver the first delivery in Test cricket in England, um, the delivery itself, and as someone said on Twitter to me, they sort of said everybody talks about the spin. Uh the spin comes after the 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 swerve of the ball in the yeah, air.
2: Yeah, it's one from half a foot outside off to a pitched outside leg.
0: Yeah, so he right uh, even
2: hit the deck. Like that's incredible.
0: Yeah, and I I just think that was that was, and you know to to Warn's credit, he actually used to talk about that ball afterwards. And he and he, he's sort of well known for his uh, self confidence. Uh, and he put his hand up and said that that ball was an absolute fluke. He said I I just all I wanted to do was just go out there and just rip it as hard as I could and just land it in a good area and see what happens. He said, I, I didn't intend to do that. It just paid off for me. And and I sort of think that in in and of itself is is just worn to a tee where he'd try something and great sportsmen, those things pay off for, the, for them.
2: But even the fact that he wanted to rip it as hard as he could, most guys would just want would bowl an arm ball and just make sure it hits the deck.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? So um, look, you know, uh, Shane Warne. We, um, yeah, it's 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 truly a, a a loss in the in the Australian sporting landscape, and um, obviously we we, we wish um, his family all the best in, best in what is uh, absolutely a um, a truly uh, difficult time, gents. Um, the Knights have an NRLW team. We are recording this post-match uh, in our um, round two game after our round two game against the Broncos. We've suffered a twenty-eight to ten loss. We're 0 from two, uh, yeah. But we are well and truly uh, in, in into the uh, NRLW season. How are we going? Where are we going from here?
2: Um, I think the girls have shown really positive signs. Two of the sides, obviously the Broncos. Have only had one defeat in the entire competition history, um, and Parramatta is, are a star-studded team. You know they they've recruited really well, full of uh, New South Wales origin players, Gila Ruse. There's a few Kiwi ferns as well. Like they're they're a star-studded team, and we, we probably should have beat them in the end. Um, yeah, the talk of us being you know sort of well off the pace is um, not proving to be reality. The girls are, are, are looking like they're going to. I think at least going to pitch one win for the season.
1: I um, I've watched both games. Uh, yeah, I, I'm with you, brother. I think there's a bit of promise. Um, they just keep keep remaining positive. Um, uh, yeah, like there's there's enough talent in that side. Um, you know they've probably got a few issues in their spine. Um, but they're very physical. Um, and super competitive. Like they've got a good good pack of forwards. I reckon. Um, and the more and more they play together, the the handling errors will cut down, as well. Which in the which in the rain down in Wollongong really certainly hurt them, and they were really in that game against Parramatta. And in a lot of ways, yeah, should should have got the win at home. Um, yeah, the, yeah, they're far from disgracing themselves so far in the competition. Which a lot of the talk before the comp was they're going to be the easy beats. Well, I, I think it's like the original Knights, you. you you know you've been in a game with them. You, they might not be on the right end of the scoreline, but you're going to know you've been in a contest with those girls.
2: All, all the big hits in today's game were all from the knights. Every every sort of good shot was put on by us. You know, and against a pack like Brisbane, you know that's that's a real sort of feather in your cap.
0: So we'll we'll we'll, we'll go over the uh, the Eels game uh, in a fair amount of detail. I, I was lucky enough to be at the game last weekend. Um, I think it's a, just a general statement, and this follows on from what we said about the Indigenous All-Stars weekend. Women's Rugby League is a, just an absolutely outstanding spectacle to watch. It it, it really doesn't lose much in terms of um, a great game to watch compared to to the men's product.
2: I compare it to, um, to women's basketball. Like, I really enjoy women's basketball because it's a very basic form of the game. It's how the game is designed to be played. And I see Women's Rugby League exactly the same thing. Um, you know, it's not all about pure size and athletic skill. It's about the the basic skills of the game, and that's where the Broncos, as much as they've got some tremendous athletes in their team and some really big girls, they're very good at the skills. You know, their spine are elite at the at the skills of rugby league, and even just things as basic as consistently, you know, kicking, kicking on the fifth tackle and, and goal kicking and stuff like it really shines a light on those rugby league skills, which is which is a great thing to watch.
1: Harry i actually think that too um i think in the last three years since the competition has started I, I every season i watch um nrl women's or even women's state of origin the the standard and the skills keeps getting better and better each year you know like um more and more that the girls are being able to offload in you know th- you know th- three three th- three women tackles for lack of a better term um you know, things like that and knowledge of how to run holes and stuff like that. Um, I think the first try that the Brisbane scored today in the women's game was a great example of that, of the the more and more footy these girls are getting to play, that understanding they're getting a, of little intricate details like that mm. is certainly rising. And I do kind of think as well, like, it is a little bit how the game was sort of, you know, Designed to be played, it's it's not as athletic as the men's just because of, you know, basic, you know, genetic makeup and stuff like that. But sometimes that's a good thing as well. Like, you know, you had the um you had New wasala for the Knights last week. Like she's got the ball in hands, attacking the line and pointing at defenders in the lines like she's like 1987 Cliff Lions. Um, <laughs> And that's sometimes how footy's meant to be played.
2: It's, yeah. I was actually the, the first try of the night scored today. Um looked like a simple crash play, but you get a chance, watch the replay and it's actually Rhoda Day Half has got a really good sleight of hand. She actually makes the entire defensive line think she's going to the girl on a right while the um the try scorer comes underneath her. And it's sort of you know, most people would notice it, but it's a really, really skillful sleight of hand. And um and it's those little skills that the women sort of seem to be able to a grasp that once they sort of become more professional and more time in the game, it'll just grow.
0: We, um, we started with a bang against the Eels. Uh, Romy uh, Teitzel went over early for the, for the first try for the NRL W Knights. Um, I mean, I think in the back of my mind, I'd sort of hope that that would be the first of many to come that day. It really didn't work out that way. The, the game itself turned into more of a sort of grind and then us riding our luck against the yields. I think they had about five tries either disallowed or bombed, uh, in the first half. But, you know, we sort of, um, we sort of made our, made our own luck and, um, we held on to, um, we, we sort of tried to graft out those chances, um, but we just yeah, we just we just couldn't get the job done in the end. I, I, the, the only other thing I want to say, you know, I'll, I'll let you boys have a thought about this is um, I think from a very critical perspective, I thought Romy overplayed her hand a little bit, particularly in the second half last week. There were a lot of those fifth tackle options where we were getting tackled with the ball. and, and I don't know if that was a, a planned tactic. but when you're sort of chasing a win towards the end, we probably needed something a little bit um, a little bit more with just a bit more variety.
2: I think today's game sort of proved we actually don't have a legitimate fifth tackle kicker. We really struggled today to kick the ball more than 20 metres in the wind. So I would not be surprised if that running the ball was a genuine tactic last week. Um, yeah, that 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 was a really a really glaring uh, part of today's game. How much Brisbane, you know, just kill us with their kicking game. And I yeah, I'm actually sort of I, I was a bit like yeah, I was a bit critical of Romey for getting tackled so much on the fifth, but I'm starting to think that that was. Yeah, an actual design tactic.
0: It certainly feels like it comes from the O'Brien school of of coaching, um, which I've and I've got a whole other thought about the fact that I think they're trying to make that consistent just across the club, like seniors, juniors, men's, women's. Um, but that's something that we have seen before. Don't kick it dead if you can take the fifth tackle towards and just put them straight under pressure with a play the ball when you turn the, when you hand over possession.
1: I actually think it's super underrated in both men's and women's footy i think obviously there does come a time where you have to get your kick away whether you you know you're you're chasing the game or, or whether you're behind or whatever the situation is there is there's a time when you know you've got to come up with the right kick but i often think when you've got a goal line set um why why feel the need to kick it absolutely every time like if especially if you don't have a really good short kicking game. Um, You know, it's – I've been the biggest non-fan of, like, the seven-tackle set kind of thing for kicking it dead because I think it's a ridiculous price to pay. But, yeah, like, that's one of those situations where, yeah, like, giving the ball to the the opposition two metres out is often just as good as – and getting the repeat set. I actually
2: I actually think that's a really good tactic when you've got the ball 20 metres out, because 20 metres out, the winger still has to drop back somewhat. If you're on the trail line, you know, it's just a flat line on the line. But if you're 20 out, the winger still has to drop back in anticipation of across your kick and the and the uh the ball, the, the runner's running at her. Um. So, I, yeah, I think 20 metres out's a really good tactic. To me, my issue with it is that you can't do it every play. If you're doing it to the point where they're getting used to it, mm. you know, which we we were last week. You know that that defeats the purpose. But yeah. if a bit of a surprise tactic, two or three times a game, I think it's a really good idea.
1: As long as it's the cheat meal and not the diet, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> It's classic
0: Knights fashion as well. Of course, we lost uh, a close one to the first ever field goal in the history of the <laughs> NFLW. Uh, there's something about Knights and losing in heart, heartbreaking fresh, uh, fashion that's um, historic. Um, yeah, th- those girls are certainly pure Newcastle.
2: At least Paramount only beat us by a point this time. The first time we played in the men's, they they wiped us. So it's an improvement. Yeah, brutal. true.
0: Yeah, true. So, look, I, I think off the back of that, like, that, that was a dead set heartbreaker. And I want to read something. Um, I've got to look. I think this is a just a, a quaint sort of um, little story. And I think it's one of the things that just makes Newcastle such a pure rugby league town. So uh, Matt Clark at Kidder and Matt uh, tweeted, uh, Jamie Fraser standing alone at the bench minutes after full time, tears streaming down her face. Andrew Johns emerging from the tunnel and making a beeline for her for a chat and a hug before going on his way. That's Newcastle right there, and that's what makes a club great. Now that in and of its that moment in and of itself is fantastic, and Matt is absolutely right. That is pure Newcastle. But I actually uh, took a screenshot of that and I sent that on to Jamie. And this is what's even more Newcastle is that one of our full-time players responded to me and uh, she said something along the lines of, ha, 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 that's too funny. I don't know about tears streaming down my face, but I certainly did appreciate it. And that I just thought, well, that that's fantastic. Like, she didn't have to respond. Uh, she could have said anything. But the fact that one of the greatest players of all time sort of went out onto the field and, you know, that, that that's that's the community spirit that is the Newcastle Knights uh, Rugby League Club.
1: Newcastle are the premiers.
0: Okay, so today, we uh, 28 to 10, the Broncos are the Broncos. Um, as you said, Brito, they, they've only lost one game in the history of the comp thus far. Look, I, I want to sort of go over some of the stats from today's game. Um, and I think that sort of paints a bit of a picture that's reflective of the scoreline. Now, the Broncos today, they're 55% of possession. They had the ball in hand, four minutes more than we did. They had 37 sets, which was only four more than us, but they completed 24 of them compared to the 18 that we completed. But the run meters, and you've got to bear in mind, a lot of our meters were taken up by Jamie Frassade at the end running the late, scoring in scoring our final try. They monstered us 1,443 meters to 1,086. So, like, the statistics really do paint the picture that the Broncos you know they they earned their win they were the better team it, the, the result um the result really follows on from that. Bretto
2: Yeah that's um the, that, the, those stats yeah they, as you said they, they tell a story um I wouldn't say that we were completely dominated we were well in the game at times but uh yeah Brisbane were dominant in field position and possession and our own mistakes were, were a big part of that, and eventually we got tired, and they were just rolling through us late in that second half. Yeah, you know, Millie Boyle broke the record for most run meters in a women's game, following on from doing the same thing last week. So um, yeah, you're right, the stats tell the story.
1: Yeah, it's um it's one of those things like you just it's you look at the you look at the continuity that Brisbane have. Um, yeah, compared to our our girls are in their second game ever, and there's been a lot of the the continuity. The the Brisbane girls, the the show just rolls on a little bit. It's you know you got Brigham Shore at halfback, and you know Tamika Upton is bloody hell, she's a sensational footballer at the back as well. Um, Correct, you know they've got those gun players in the in the key positions, and if you let them complete. Completed that late. even in the rain, they're, they're going to be hard, and you can be as physical as you want. Um, but unless you can just get the right finishes on your set, like, um, that, that the Knights probably lack, the, the Broncos have got that, and they're just and they've got Millie Boyle. Um, and uh, let's see, uh, what's oh, the other front rowers' name? Um, oh, starts with T. starts with T, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. That, yeah. Yeah, I, I've um, yeah, it's completely. I, I do apologise, but um, man, that that's just like having Lazarus and Webkey just laying a pl- Like it's, you know, they just paved the highway for them. They're just so so good in the middle, of Brisbane, and I thought our girls really stood up and, and and played with some of that physicality that that you need. But yeah, it's um. It's just a little bit of experience, I think. Um, Are you thinking of Chelsea Leonarduzzi? That's the one, Leonarduzzi. Yes, yeah, that's, that's, uh, yep. that's, yeah. I, I was like, a, yeah, name ends in a vowel. So I,
0: I thought we um we missed Caitlin Johnson. And we, we were. Big time. Uh, big behind time. the scenes, Bretto and I were a little bit probably critical of Caitlin in round one. I sort of thought maybe the occasion over order. It turns out she's she's out for the season with this elbow injury, so she might have picked up that injury early on in the game. Um, but I, I, I just sort of get the feeling we, we might have missed a little bit of that aggression, which I, I'm not saying would have changed the result today, um, but, you know, that big front-rower enfor- enforcer, um, Matua Federica, came in and, and, and did a, a, a very passable job today. But, yeah, I, I thought we missed Caitlin.
2: Yeah, I think that the absence of Caitlin also then pushes – your middle rotation one step down so if Caitlin starts you've then got one of those girls that started on the bench to come on when Brisbane have rested Iboilingona uh, Dutzy so it so it really sort of affects your entire rotation miss, missing your, your um your number one front row and I, it really hurt us because those um th- those big Kiwi girls that we've got there they can't play the minutes Caitlin can play and the Brisbane girls yeah. you know could prob- could probably play a full 70 minutes if they wanted to and you could really tell uh, the big girls got really tired late.
0: Gents, Harry, I just want to cut you off before if before you. Um, Titans have beaten the Roosters 26-16 to 16 in the second game today. So there you it's,
1: go. Well, this has been – the story of the Roosters in our history is promise a lot and don't deliver a lot, hasn't it? Like that's – they always get seen as the – oh, they've got Isabel Kelly and – Oh, no, it's and that's very Channel that, 9 hype.
2: Yeah. It's the Channel 9 hype. Channel 9 just loved that Roosters team. And this year with Jesser just, uh, just going, oh, my God, the hype's out of control.
0: But are, the, are they underperforming or are they overhyped? Ooh, it's, no, they're it's, overhyped.
2: They're, they're overhyped. Okay. They're, they're performing probably slightly under expectations, but they're definitely overhyped.
0: Yeah. Like,
2: the, the idea that people were suggesting they would beat Brisbane last week was ridiculous. Brisbane are lengths, are lengths ahead of everyone, let alone the Roosters.
0: Well, we've we've got the Roosters next week. Is that now? Uh, I mean, it's we haven't won a game yet. It's it's must win. But I mean, the Roosters will be going into that without a win. Now, is that is it sort of do or die time for us next week?
2: Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That, 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 that's our chance. That's our chance,
1: Harry. Yeah, I mean, you get a win next week. Um, you go should I have had a win in round one. Sort of got outclassed a bit in round two. If you get a win in round three. Um, you probably feel pretty good about yourself, but, yeah, unless you get the, the points next week, um, get getting or trying to be in that semi-final race is, is sort of going to be hard or getting in the final. But you get a win next week, you, you just don't know what what confidence the girls will get from that. So oh, yeah, we win put, next put all week. your eggs in we, the basket. Put all your eggs in that basket and see what happens.
2: We win next week. We're right in the finals, Hunt, because I expect Parramatta – and Brisbane to sort of, you know, be the one and two sides. So if we can win two of those other three. It puts us right in the mix for final spot.
0: Uh, now, next weekend is a massive Roosters-Knights doubleheader because you'll have the uh, Roosters hosting the Knights in the NRLW at 12.50 at the SCG and then followed on by the men's game in uh, round one. So uh, if you're a Knights fan, massive uh, occasion. Get yourself down to Sydney next week if you can.
2: Absolutely. At the SCG, which might be the last chance to see the rest of the SCG, even though it's a shit ground to watch. It's still, you know, it's still the SCG.
0: <laughs> now, mm-hmm. um, but since the last time Breto and I recorded, and it's a great opportunity to get your thoughts on the game, uh, we, uh, we had a loss to the Melbourne Storm in our last trial game for the year, which in all things, Newcastle is just, you know, sky's falling down. We're not good enough. We, we, we can't beat the Storm even in a trial. Um, But, yeah, we we came out of it unscathed. Uh, Gentlemen, how how are the boys looking going into round one?
1: I actually thought it was a great loss. Normally in years gone past when the Knights have played in trial games, specifically in Maitland, they've really just not played well. And, you know, a lot of fans have had a bad taste in their mouth about the season to come. Mm. And then in round one we've won. So... Trying to make too much of a, a trial game is, you know, that's for fools, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, yeah. I really, really liked a lot of what we were trying to do in attack. Um, talk, me through, looked, talk me through yeah. that,
0: Harry. When, when you say our attack, because that's probably the most criticised element of the Newcastle Knights at the moment, what, what was it about it that you really liked? What? what about- well, I
1: liked it. I liked that Clifford is really looking to run the football. It's an. It's always been like the the underrated aspect of his game. Everyone just thinks he's ah uh, Jake the boot Clifford. He's got more to his arsenal, especially when he's on the right hand side of the field, which it, it looks like he's doing more and more of with Adam Clune over on the left. Mm. Um, he looks more comfortable on that right side. Um, looks he's got like a decent right foot step. Um, which sort of Helped him. It's the the first sort of half bust he made and set up an offload for Frizzell Come off the right foot, then the try scored in the second half. Come off the right foot, breaks some tackles and gets over. And then um, he sort of almost put Ponga through when he got he, he got his nose through the line. And again, it came off that right foot step. He looks a bit bigger, so I think that's a huge positive for their attack. Looks they're playing a bit flatter at different stages, where last year they it was very one out and everyone was standing back waiting for the next run, waiting for the next ruck. So if an offload came, it was an ineffective offload anyway, because they were so far back they couldn't really capitalise. Whereas now I think they're actually sort of more positioned to capitalise on offloads, especially if you know. On yardage sets and stuff like that, if if the likes of Clifford and that sort of sniff around the ball, and you're always going to have Ponga sniffing around the ball, um, yeah, they're both you know two great runners. The football in your spine. Um, that's what I really like.
2: underrated backup guy. Cliff Clifford's Cliff a really good uh, backup Support, guy. Man. You know, he, a few times there he was, he was sniffing around the ruck, which is something we've really lacked in in uh, recent years. That sort of ability to break things up through the middle with a bit of support play, and Clifford oh, does a good job of that.
0: Our backup play has been atrocious, though, over the past two
2: years. It, it's, it's an element that you know, K-Dog, that I've been a bit criticised of, of Kalen at yeah. times. Yeah, the, very the, much the, so. You know, the, the Kalen's not always there, like, you know, like a Pappenhausen. Every time a, a Storm play gets an arm free, Pappenhausen's off their hip. And I get mm. the Kalen's role is different. He's not purely a ball runner like Pappenhausen is. But yeah, it's something we really, we really need to uh, to pick our game up because there's a lot of opportunities with the the ability we've got in the middle of the ruck.
0: Um, I want to talk a little bit about our sort of uh, edge players. So uh, Dom Young, Tuala, Um uh, Bradman, and uh, Dane. There was a bit of a concern there that Bradman had uh, suffered yet another injury, but he jumped on the on the telly afterwards and said, "Nope, no issues whatsoever." pure precaution, I'm fine, it was just a bump. Um, but I, I thought Dane Gagai looked really – he just looks so solid. I, I, he, he sort of got done over fairly early, but, you know, in a trial you don't mind it. Um, Dane Dane looks like he's fitting right back into that back line. Bretto
2: Yeah, and, th- and that's what we sort of hoped when Dane come back to the club, that, you know, he would sort of be a bit of a glue, you know, sort of – solid in defence, communicates well with his guys around him, knows his role and can be creative at times when needed. And that's certainly what he showed in the two trolls so far.
0: What do you reckon, Harry?
1: Um, good to see Gagai back at Newcastle. I just wonder, um, had a bit of strapping on that knee. Mm. Um, could, could be a few weeks before he's sort of, he's sort of back at, at his best. So... I don't know how serious the knee injury is or whether just, you know, having the weekend off this weekend and and everything will be sweet come round one and he'll feel fine. Um, it, it could just be that. But it, it will be interesting to sort of see because he has sort of – he hasn't had that pace off the mark um, when, when it comes to sort of defensively. If he's turning around to chase, it looks like he's sort of laboured a bit. Now, whether that is just a trial game and it's like, well, why would I expend all my energy? in a trial, like that could a hundred percent be it. Mm. Um, but it, it, it's probably just something to watch for him. Like, uh, and it'd be quite interesting to see how he, um, how he sort of does fare on, in round one.
0: I think we're looking. So I, I think there's a, I could, I agree with you about, uh, about Dane, but I, I also, I think we'll get a much clearer picture um, come the end of, of round one, as we will across the board. Um, do, do we have concerns about uh, Dom Young lining up against the Roosters come round one? Because it, it looks like he's gonna he's going to have to start with Heimel out and uh, Edric not yet ready.
2: Um, yeah, inexperience is always a concern against a team well drilled like the Roosters. Um, but you've got to throw him in at some time, and I don't think there's any doubt that Dom's next cab off the rank, so you can't protect him. But you know, there's definitely concern about it. You an know, experienced player against a team like the Roosters.
1: I would agree with that. it's the concern is just in in these couple of trial games, and it sort of happened with him last year. It's about when to come in, when to stay,, yeah. when to slide, and stuff like that. I think the best thing he can do is think that you know the sideline is a defender as well. And I think that that's what is sort of often lost um with the outside backs at the top level. He sort of does because maybe, – maybe it's because he's eight foot four. He sort of thinks he can probably intercept everything and he can sort of hunt the ball. Um, he's too green to do that, I think, consistently. I think there's okay. going to be a time when he comes up with, you know, a, a fantastic play. Can he do it as regularly as Edric Lee? I don't know. Time will tell. Um, it's just that decision-making and, you know – can he adjust laterally quick enough to that fast movement that the Roosters have through their back line? That's going to be super interesting to see. But like carting the ball up out of yardage, got no dramas with that. Um, and he, he's a talent. It's just it's just that, you know, that, that last step for, for all outside backs is when do I come in? When do I stay? Like when do, you know, when do I call my mates to come out? All those little things. If he
2: would you put him on the right, would you put him on the right wing, Harry? So, he's yeah, not that, I was just
1: going to
0: ask that. Yeah, thoughts?
1: If you put him on the right wing, um, yeah, quite possibly because the Roosters love going to their right, don't they? Um, yeah, that's the Daniel Tupo matchup, isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you you might only have to because what you are you going to put Tuala on that other wing like uh, you know that that's, yeah, that's I like I like next to best. I like that too. Um whether yeah, I think that change probably does have to happen now that you're taking the Tupo factor as well and the one yeah. thing that Tupo is really apart from being really good in the air is Tupo hugs the sideline in attack like he is he plays. He plays with every inch that he has. So, yeah. um, you got to defend accordingly. And and I know that Sam Walker's going to try and throw a Harbour Bridge pass, and and one and it might be on to come up and try and steal it. But I think for the majority of the time, I think just just hug the sideline. Um, don't don't get too aggressive is what I think might yeah, be Yeah,
2: I, I, I can see Sam Walker's eyes light up, you know, when he thinks of Dom Young there, just looping that pass over his head consistently.
0: So can I just... So is, is Sam Walker a confirmed starter? How did he pull up after the, the Tigers trial? There's no concerns there for his, his fitness? Last I saw he was certain to play. Okay, all right. Um, I mean... The Knights are the Knights are a sort of funny thing, funny team. Like you sort of look at their their backs and you go, well, there there are a lot of sort of certain starters there, and there's a lot of experience, but there's also a lot of inexperience, You know, with with the likes of Dom Young, um, but the backs really aren't the the um. The key component of that team—it's—it's—it's it's, it's really the forwards that are the, um, the superstars, as it were, or you know, celebrities, of of the Newcastle Knights team. How are the forwards looking going into round one? Um,
2: yeah, like we've we've got one of the best middles in the competition. There's no doubt about that. Um, whether um, it's Jacob Sofidi or Clem, as noted, uh, starts along with alongside Daniel, that you know, that that that's a that's a great prop forward rotation. Um, I like Kurt Man at lock. I really do. I think that, you know, in the the way the P ball's played, I think he can he can really do a job there. Um I think we're we're an edge back row short. I, I don't think that we have uh, one of those spots set up. I think obviously Frazel's locked in, but I'm not a huge fan of Barnett on an edge but that's sort of how we've got to go at the moment, I think. But, um, no, we, we've, we've got a top-shelf back, There's
0: no doubt about it. Harry, your thoughts running your eye over the fo- uh, forwards when it came to their performances in the two trials to date?
1: Um, I've been thinking about this, and normally I just uh, – we're going to play the Roosters and we're going to get spanked. But what I, I keep thinking is Hargreaves always looks washed in the first round of every season. Um, he takes like five or six weeks to sort of round into form. Um, you've got Lindsay Collins coming off the ACL injury. Mm. Um, this has to be a week where Clemmart and the two Saifidi twins go, right, we're winning that battle. That that like we we just have to win it. Like we're we're better than what they're gonna toss up. Um, now, will the Roosters in six or eight weeks be better? Probably, but on this one day in round one to start a year, I feel like that's that's where we have it, an advantage. Like,
2: and it's a big it's a big moment for those guys. Like, as I as I said before, like I think you know we're we're a top tier uh, prop rotation, but you need to show it. You need to show against the big boys. There's no point running over uh, mediocre teams and and flexing your muscles. Yeah, you know, we need to start starting up with these big sides.
1: I think as well, there's a element of um, no one really rates us. Everyone, oh, yeah, for sure. Everyone, everyone in the Sydney media completely overrated Mitchell Pearce and, um, and, and just sort of didn't rate the rest of the side. They um, mm. sort of just think that the sky is black and Newcastle's going to run 14th. But there's enough really, really good boards in that pack where especially in a week one game. Now the Roosters will come to play, sure, but I think we can sort of outmatch them in the middle. I think they've got the advantage on the edge having Crichton ready to go round one. Um, And, you know, Victor Radley, like, you know, he didn't play that much footy last year. Is he just going to hit the ground running as well? Who knows? (laughs)
0: Harry you, Harry you mentioned Mitchell Pearce so sorry, sorry but I'm curious to get Harry's uh, thoughts on this if only because you know it's been the talking point of the summer for the Newcastle Knights we have got you on um, where where do you everyone in Newcastle and everyone who supports Newcastle has an opinion on it so we might as well hear yours uh, as well where do you stand on the Mitchell Pearce departure positive negative why why not uh, how do you feel I, about
1: it I think it was the right time for both parties Yeah um, I think I think the side was ready to move in a different direction. The club certainly were. I think at the sort of mid to late 2020 when it was like, oh, we're going to give him a three-year extension, that would have meant we got, you know, uh, on big money too. Um, Then the sexting scandal happened and it was like, okay, well, let's just re-sign for, you know, one year, 700K on a discount. Um, That was going to be, okay, well, it was sort of a, okay, well, That's our fallback. Um, If we don't think that we can sort of – if we don't believe in a better option for the future, then, you know, we can just hang on to him for a year and sort of delay the decision or we can – okay, right, we believe in Clifford. um, You know, Clune's going to come and do a job for a year. Like, you know, can he nail down that spot and be a regular first grader? Um, That. That says a lot that you know O'Brien believes in the squad and says we are ready to move on from the, you know, one of the biggest signings in club history. Um, yeah. yeah, I yeah I, I thought it was a good mutual breakup for both teams. I think they both needed it. Brett,
0: before you jump in, I want because I want to put this to to you as well. Like when when the Mitchell Pearce because you mentioned it, Harry, when the Mitchell Pierce sexting scandal sort of broke, um, my phone started going ballistic sort of afterwards with, afterwards with mates going, oh, have you heard about this? Have you, you know, have you heard anything? And uh, we talk a lot about team cohesion and I think people underestimate what a massive deal that was in Newcastle in respect of the trust that was sort of broken with what, because I don't know the finer details, but I know a town like Newcastle, What surrounded that occurring and I said at the time, Newcastle being the place that is as close as we are and as close-knit as that team is, going, I was – first of all, I, I, I wasn't sure if he was even going to play for us last year. He did. But I was adamant. He will not be at the Newcastle Knights for season 2022 and it will be off the back of that. And um, whether you know coincidence or the events sort of correlate with one another – I think that was a turning point, though, for Mitchell Pearce in Newcastle in terms of his place in the town, his place in the team and his place at the club because he really did sort of lose so much trust with with what happened around that and within the team.
2: Yeah, and the other element, too, is the fact that the lady involved is close with uh, players as well. Like, you know, there's a lot of hurt in that. You know, there's a lot of turmoil between players and their partners because their partners were friends with this particular young lady. Like it was a massive thing surrounding the club. It wasn't just Mitchell's done something stupid and, and made the club look bad. Like there was real personal elements to it. And I think that that bubbled under the surface the entire year last year. And um, it, it definitely hurt the club early in the year. They probably got, a, got okay with it as the season went on and they went into the bubble and they sort of spent some time together. But it definitely hurt early part of the season. And I think um, – Mitchell losing the captaincy was the signal that he was on his way out the door. I think the club sort of knew that we needed him and that's why they just took the captaincy off him. But I think if we had a better option, I don't think he would have played for us last year either.
1: I agree with that too, 100%. The the extension was just to sort of, yeah, just in case we don't get a better option.
0: I'm still – look, I, I I get a bit conspirac- conspiratorial about that extension, Harry, because um, – and I'm, I swear until I'm blue in the face uh, – the, the club never officially announced it. Mitchell Pearce was the only person who really sort of said, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm signed for next year. And that was more of a sort of offhanded, informal uh, response to a question at a press conference. But the club never an- uh, actually announced that he was uh, signed with the Newcastle Knights in 2022 make of that what you will.
1: I could have sworn they did, but... um
0: no, I I've, I have very little um, to do in my spare time, so I am locked. In, I'm plugged into the Newcastle socials at the at the best of times, and uh, they they for all of money did not um, did not announce it. Um, Harry, you know for, uh, from listening to us uh, this year that we are all aboard Adam Clune, uh, the Looney, the Loony Clunes bandwagon is leaving the station. Are you a, are you a ticket holder with a with a seat on, on
1: board? Yeah, I'm in the third-class cabin. Um, but, <laughs> but, yes, ultimately I am. Um, I Look, if you've got Adam Clune as your starting half-back in an NRL side, you are always probably thinking that you can do better. But at the same time, there is just not a lot of really, really Top line halfbacks in the NRL, he's coming in on a pretty reasonable deal. Like he's not going to cost much money. Um, and a chance to prove himself. And it sounds like the preseason, he's blown the coach away. Um, has had some nice moments in the trials, and and it looks like it's gonna be reasonably successful, I think. Cause oh, like Clun could play outstandingly well um all season, but unless unless Ponger has a big year, like the Knights don't sniff anything remotely close to preliminary final berth. Do you know what I mean? Like, he's going to do his job. Yep. But, yeah, and... And that's... Yeah. And, yeah, I've got every confidence that he will.
2: the role. Exactly. That's kind of of the role for Adam, you know? Like, you you, you don't need four out of four guns in your spine. You know, we've got what we all think is a very good six. We've also got an Elite One... Normally, we'd have Braley, who we all think is a top tier nine. The seven only, ever, only needs to be solid, do his job. And in a salary cap league, when you've got a guy that's a genuine first grader, who I think Kloon will prove he is, on you know $250,000, know, that's great business. He's not going to take us to a premiership, but he's certainly going to get enough of the job done that if KP and Clifford pay to where we think they can play, he's not going to hold us back.
0: I want to talk a little bit about just what you said in terms of the lack of depth in in halfbacks in the current um, sort of market slash league, Harry, um, because we Bredo and I actually sort of um, had a listen to you on the, the NRL Boom Rookies before we um, before we were recording today. Um, and I wanted to talk to – I actually wanted to sort of raise with you – there was something that I was thinking while you were talking about, you know, the, the lack of depth in halfbacks and halfbacks in the modern era. Yeah. Great teams historically don't build their game plan around the most dominant position in the league at the time. They build successful game plans around their best player. Now, I actually want to use the Andrew Johns, Danny Badiris example. When Joey and Andrew were playing, oh, sorry, correction. When when Joey and Danny were playing for us um, together in the early two thousands best half we had the best halfback and the best hooker in the comp but the and the hooker had sort of started to take on that role as your sort of key playmaker or you know that fulcrum of the attack but we didn't all of a sudden start building our game plan again around danny badiris because andrew johns was the superior attacking well the superior football at the time so we kept sort of um uh planning the way we played our game around andrew so i The reason I mention all of that is I don't think having a halfback that's not of the upper-end elite calibre at the moment is the problem because we've got a halfback now and, you know, unfortunately different to Mitchell Pearce, we've got a halfback who's ready to build his game around our best player in the team, who's Kalen Ponga. Thoughts?
1: Yeah, I like that sort of correlation. Um, I think there's enough examples through the history of the league um that show um it's not always about having you know a gun halfback now while having a good one is a great luxury but like do you like do you think when Darren Lockyer was playing for Brisbane like you know once Alfie retired and it was Lockyer's team Mm. do you think he ever had a great halfback inside him
0: Well, he certainly helped Shane Perry win a premiership. Yeah.
1: um, Yeah, Exactly. Like, like it was Justin Hodges and Darren Lockyer in that premiership year was who the team was built around, then Carmichael Hunt as well. Um, That's, you know, and, you know, then they had made a genius decision to switch Berry into Hooker and completely change things. But even look at, like, Freddie's sides at the Roosters. Yes. Um, Like, Craig Wing wore the seven on his back, but he played more of a roving hooking role, mm. um, you know, so he was very much not a traditional halfback, you know, they climbed to the top of the mountain, you know, that's, there's enough examples of it. Like it was like the, the early storm teams um, that, that have been dominant, like Cooper Cronk wasn't as dominant, you know, he obviously became super dominant later in his career and was just unbelievable. But you know the very early like the 2007 2008 storm teams that was you know gi playing at six was a big fulcrum of that attack you know because you had the you know the gun the gun hooker like it was oh you know kronk's actually pretty good but it wasn't until sort of later in his career we didn't realize how good or how valuable he was um and in this night spine, particularly once you get Braley back, um, you can't have four dominant players in a spine. Like one of them has to sort of, you know, complement the rest of the guys now. I think Clune's in a really good position to do that. Um, you know, play a good, play a good supporting role, like a, a Shane Perry type role where it's, you know, can you just, you know, kick to your corners? Do you have a good short kicking game? Are you defensively sound? Real basics of um, playing in the halves in the you know, Like he's just going to be really solid across the board. Um, and that means that Kalen Ponga doesn't have to worry about being solid. Yeah. Kalen Ponga can worry about being spectacular. Um, same as Clifford as well. He, he, he can do a little bit more flashier stuff um, because yeah. – Clune to me is in better positioned to do some of the some of the more solid stuff than Mitch Pierce was last year. So I think Mitch Pierce still thought he was 27 yep and and capable of doing some of that. You could tell Where, Mitchell. Yeah, I I, th- I just think it's a better fit for for the spine as a whole that like it's about knowing your roles and it's just still, and it's your skill set and and being self-aware enough to play those roles.
0: Yeah. You could tell Mitchell still thought that he was in his mid-20s the way he wanted to take on the line. Like when we were attacking in this, inside 10, he was trying to break the line to, to score the try, like barge through like Andrew Johns might have, or like he, he was doing when he was playing for the Roosters. And you're like, mate, you, you just don't have that pace anymore. You're not that yeah. hardback yeah, anymore.
2: Yeah, he, he'd throw the big step and go nowhere with it, you yeah. know, and you sort of look like Mitchell. Um, Just a point I want to bring about playing your role. I bet um, – remember how – Good, um, we look when Blake Green first come to the club.
1: Mm. Yes, you know, like an
2: an absolute journeyman, well past it. But he just played the role that we needed him to play. And how free, free Kalen looked for those few weeks before he'd done his knee. Like um, we we look like a different side in attack because Kalen had no responsibility in terms of running the team. Kalen was just Kalen, and that and that's what we want out of Clune.
0: Brett, before we sort of um, kick on to to meatier sort of subjects that have been happening with the with the nights throughout the week. Um, I'll give the final the final say to you. Your thought, your thoughts on the trial form leading into the season proper.
2: Um, nothing spectacular. There's nothing where you hang your hat on it and go, oh, you know, we're we're going to be a top four team this year. But it's everything you wanted to see. The defence was really good, especially by the young guys in that second half against the Bulldogs. It was really good. Yeah, there was good signs in defence against Melbourne too. They had a lot of ball and. And we held them out for quite a while. They sort of resorted to a couple of tries from kicks. Um, As Harry's pointed out, the attack, you know, certainly showed some new structure and some new shape that is exciting. But no, I I think all in all, the trials would be considered solid but not spectacular.
1: I'm no expert. I just love the game. But more than that, I love the community. If you're a fan of Rugby League or the NRL, you'll love Big T's T's. Unique, affordable, and made for fans. Find a link to the online store in the show notes below. You'd look good in one of Big T's tees.
0: Boys, it's never a quiet week for Newcastle, um, particularly in Newcastle itself. But um, and Harry, you're sort of, um, you're sort of uh, outside of that bubble. But even you're hammered left, right, and centre in terms of uh, goings on uh, with all things Newcastle Knights. Barry Toohey is uh, probably work, I think, working harder in retirement than he did um when he was uh, a beat journalist for the Newcastle Herald. And he's come out with some um some fairly big um, big uh, nuggets of information in in his latest um uh, his news
1: Newcastle Herald over the weekend. You know what I find funny I, yeah. always, I always thought, sorry, Brett, I've just got to cut in just a quick note before and I leave it to you. I always thought, um, that the Knights rebuild would be over once fans stopped asking if we have any interest in player X. But, <laughs> so I've, I've learned that we're just going to be forever rebuilding. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: yeah. There's something about uh, the, the, the mere whisper of players being available that Knights fans are like, I wonder if the club's into him. <laughs> Oh,
2: like it's it's funny, you know. Like, we could dead to have the test team, and we would still, and some 12-year-old has got a big reputation and you get a whisper. and We go, Are we going to get him, Baz? Are we going to get that guy? Um, Callum Pong Ponga's getting old, he's 29 now. Are we get this new kid, yeah, that's <laughs> nice fans.
0: Brett. I, I want to hit you straight up, uh, about uh, probably the, the, the key component of um, Barry's article is um, Isaac Moses. Now, Isaac has had a very uh, interesting relationship in rugby league in, in general, but certainly with the Newcastle Knights over the past couple of years. Barry seems to be of the opinion, or he's reporting, that that relationship with the Newcastle Knights might have soured a little bit uh, recently.
2: Yeah, we were all concerned that uh, Isaac had control of the club because he's got the coach and he's got the several senior players, and we're all sort of worried we're heading down the the path that he done. Um, He'd sort of done to the big four at the Tigers, and also had done a lot of damage to the Broncos. But no, that seems to um seems to have changed fairly quickly in the in recent months.
0: So Harry, I'll just um there are three key players that are sort of playing a role in um in the recent uh, unsettling as being reported with um the Knights and uh, Isaac Moses. And to be clear, it's Isaac Moses's um, sports agency because as we know. Isaac Moses is um, deregistered by the NRL, so it, it sort of all revolves around Katoni Stags, Luke Brooks, and Hylam Lukey, where the Knights have sort of been led to leave, that, led to believe that we have either agreements in place or interest in place. That's ultimately turned out not to be the the case, and now the Knights sort of feel like, well, hang on, what what's going on here? Are we? Are we in a you know solid working relationship, or are we just another pawn in um, the chess game that is uh, Isaac Moses's uh, sporting agency?
1: I can't speak on Lukey, but I know I have a a tiny bit of insider knowledge. I that I know that Katoni Staggs was all but over the line. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we were unbelievably close to having him. Like basically agreed to terms and for whatever reason, just fell through at the last minute. And, um, yeah, it just, you know, th- those things happened in um, player transactions sometimes. But, yeah, I, I guess that's why we've got Dane Gagai now. I guess, the you know, Staggs was probably the first choice. They had him and then they had to sort of look at what else they could do. So interesting so to sort of see that, that working relationship sort of changing. I mean... It was Demet Shibasaki. That was the that was the dagger through the heart, by the sound. Yeah, yeah, clearly,
2: yeah, yeah. The um, the lucky one is that he's another Moses client. Um, and the club was led to believe that he was done. They um, agreed to terms. It was just a matter of working out fine details and whether he was going to try and get here this year or not. Um, so the Knights have then um, shelved all plans at looking at other. Plays in Lukey's position last yeah, The Cowboys took it off uh, and Lukey stayed. So it looks very much how yeah, Moses was using us to leverage the Cowboys because Lukey wanted to stay there, um, which then hurt us because we've been, we're we now left with a fair bit of salary cap space and we're looking very thin on the edge. And that's certainly, um, yeah, given the night's nice shits.
0: Is this a blessing in disguise? In a lot of ways, because as we've said, one of the concerns was that this one particular person was probably having too much say in respect of what was happening with our playing roster, with our coaches. Um, Is this an opportunity for the Knights to uh, regenerate, as it were, in terms of uh, the way we handle our roster, the way we handle um, hiring, staffing? Uh, Is this an opportunity?
1: I think it leaves us flexible. Brett, Would you agree with that?
2: Yeah. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, and that—that's exactly right, Harry. It's the flexibility. You can't be tied to one agency. You can't be tied to certain elements. So you know, you—you—it's you, too narrow. Like, rugby league is such a worldwide game in terms of where you need to scout now to to get players, especially you know the Pacifica and. And also into the UK and stuff like you—you you can't limit yourself. And it really, that's what worried me. It wasn't the Isaac Moses stuff in terms of the fact that he's just done a very particularly nice person. It was the fact that we seem to be limiting ourselves to Isaac Isaac Moses clients, and that yeah, that's how we end up with guys like Shibasaki. Um, I,
0: I look, I—I I think I think in terms of. I, I don't really know much about what ha- what Isaac Moses does or doesn't do uh, in the background. I think from my perspective, all I'm really interested in is the success of the Newcastle Knights. Like, I want us to have a team and a coaching staff in place that are going to win a premiership at the end of the day. So... Um, whatever is going on in the background, if we have more autonomy in terms of the way we manage our roster, in the way that we go about making sure that the 17 players in the men's and women's team that take the field each weekend are going to get us towards uh, winning a trophy, then I'm sort of I'm uh, comfortable with what the what the club decides to do.
1: Harry, K dog. This is where you're wrong, my friend. All <laughs> 17 players who play for the Knights every week have to have come from the Hunter region.
2: <laughs> Mar- Mar- I don't care Mar- if Mar- they Mar- run
1: 15th Mar- every year. You know that. They just <laughs> have to try hard and be from the Hunter area.
2: Do you Mate, not hit over is, the Rangers. Genius, Do not go past my Mar- <laughs> run Mar-
1: <laughs> Yeah, no. No, exactly. No. No. Uh, look, are we a bit sure, like, cap room was this year? Sure, but, like... um. Yeah, you know, it leaves us room to wiggle with for next year, absolutely. Like, you know, we're always going to have some key re-signings and stuff. Like the Saifidis are, um, are locked up. Clemens probably the big call now because after this season, he'll have one year left to run on his deal. Like, do you want to have him long-term as he sort of moves closer to 30? Yeah, like that's – yeah, they they do have some decisions to make, you know, because they have – put together a pretty reasonable squad. And, and I think every off season you are going to have a headache and every time you've got a good headache, you know, about who you want to keep and, you know, and, and as long as you've got the flexibility to do that, you know, it's that's as good a spot you can be in a salary cap league.
2: As we've, as we've talked previously on the pod, like you and I are quite high on a lot of the, the Knights youngsters at the moment, K-Dog. And, um, you know, if they got, if those guys, you know, do have breakout years this year, well, they're going to need more money, because even though we've got most of them locked up for another year or two, that's that's not going to keep them happy. We're going to keep them in the club, the club are going to need to pro- produce a new contract to um to keep them long term. So it's always nice to have some flexibility in that regard. You Leo Thompson coming into the into the top thirty uh, last week because the club really rate him and he's on an absolute pittance at the moment. But you know, if he has a, he has a great year, we're going to need to up him. Um, yeah, the Saifidis are locked in, but, um, you know, there's a lot of other middles that we've got into the lower grades that, that are pretty good that you might need more money if, if uh, that aside cleb's going to go. Um, Jira Mommasi is another one that's on fairly low money that I think will have a great year. Simi Sasagi, there's always money to, money uh, need to be spent.
0: Uh, Harry, sp- Speaking of uh, David Clemmer, I very quickly want to get your opinion on it. One of the big uh, things, and Adam O'Brien's been doing the rounds on um, podcasts this week, and one of the big breaking news um, that Barry Toohey uh, got out of Adam was that David Clemmer has probably had the best off-season. He's genuinely been tra- training the house down, and he's earned back his starting spot for round one. Thoughts on that?
1: Look, I'm the world's biggest Clemmer fan because like, he just – Immediately walked into our club and just was a total pro in a lot of ways. In just the sheriff, yeah, he is the sheriff. <laughs> um, he wasn't playing bad last year, I think that narrative is certainly wrong. I think it's more that Jacob was just so good that you couldn't deny him a starting spot. Um, and I think people think being benched is a bad thing in the NRL. It's like, well, you end up all playing the same minutes anyway. Now, whether you come on in minute 25 or you come on at minute zero, does that really matter? To me, it doesn't. Um, but as well, what speaks to Clem's professionalism is how many guys would have, okay, I'm halfway from my contract here. The coach has just benched me. How many blokes would look for an out? Yeah. Every yeah. club, every club has a couple that a go, would kick stones, and then they, they, they'd be at a new club the next week. But,
2: Tarkins,
1: Sims. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that whole thing of, I'll prove you wrong. I love that when players do that, and he fought back, and he's got his starting spot back, and now it's only going to go Jake Swifidi, who's the reigning player of the year at the club, to go. No, I want to. I'm going to break the door down, and, you know, and in internal competition is just going to make that middle rotation so much stronger for us. It's like there's no let up. We've got we've got great middles on the field all eighty minutes of the game now. You are listening to the Bay Fifty Three podcast.
2: Yeah, so um, Adam did make the point that uh, it's nice to always have a Saifidi on the field, which is something that we definitely agree with. Um, yeah, like Clem, Clem is, Clem is your, your meter reader. He's your guy that um, you know can play 80 minutes if required, but he'll just go solidly at one pace for while he's on the field, whereas Jacob and Daniel are the two guys really lift the pace and lift the aggression and um, show that bit of skill around the rucks, especially when they're fresh. So I think that the idea of having one Saifidi on the field is definitely a positive.
0: Bretto, we've um, we've gotten too in depth in uh, the Newcastle Knights. We scared Harry off. Uh, he has unfortunately had to depart us. But don't worry, we we're still going to uh, we're still going to plough on at least with the rest of uh, our schedule for, for today. Bretto, um, Adam O'Brien has been hammering the uh, the podcast this week. First of all, with the Knights HQ um, podcast with Frank Barrett, but then um, as we said before, he, he jumped on uh, Barry Tui's podcast and uh, and gave the exclusive about David Klemmer. Um, Adam is um he's working the media hard this week in preparation for round one.
2: Yeah he is. Um, he, I don't know it doesn't seem to me like he's a coach that is really confident in his um his club at the moment. He just you know he, he wasn't over the top he wasn't talking up and saying we're we'll gonna win premiership, but he was just he seemed really happy with where the the club was going, how his God was shaping up. You know, he really, really, really high on his staff that they've hired this year. Mm. I think that he's he's realised that that um what you have around you is as important as anything. Mm. Um, yeah, no, he he was he was really really confident. Um, and it's hard not to be with him. You know, he I, I did take note that he said that um he to me to him the first step is getting a home final. Which I think we agree with. Yeah, that's the first step for us is to get a home final, and um, yeah, no, that that was a really, really good, a uh, good interview on both those podcasts.
0: I was particularly impressed with the way he spoke about uh, David Klemmer and David uh, working his way back into that starting spot. It's as you said um, just previously, giving opportunities to other players at the expense of certain players well, it's not a criticism of the player who misses out. It's a compliment oh. to the player who's managed to work their way into you know, achieving something that they've sort of earned. And we've spoken a little bit about that across um, all of our episodes this season, which is that we want competitions for spots. We want players who are, who are hungry. We want players, but also not just hungry, that know that the effort that they put in is going to be rewarded. And it certainly sounds like that with Clem in this case. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Um, it's the core element to any team sport, especially professional sport, where egos are, can be an issue. It needs to be all in. It needs to be about celebrating individual success as well as team success. So that the idea of the club celebrating Clem being promoted rather than Jacob being demoted, even though he technically really wasn't demoted at all, mm. um, I think that 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 that, that that's, that's fantastic. Like that's exactly what the club needs to be. Jacob, as Harry said previously, like Jacob's still going to play for the same amount of minutes he would have played starting. You're just going to do it after 25 minutes. Um, it's really important that guys compete for spots. It's the key to anything. Um, I can't, I can't iterate en- enough about how uh, success drives success. Yeah, and and that's what that's what I got out of Adam. You know. It was Clem's success, which will now drive Jacob to be better. And that's what the club was focusing on. And to me, that was just great to hear.
0: I want to put that theory to test a little bit, mate, if only because I just want to flesh that out in terms of how that that works with with other clubs. Now, As you've said, competition for spots is a good thing. Uh, competing for places and and success breeding success, but I want to look at a team like the Melbourne Storm. You, you wouldn't say that there's a competition for spots across their starting seventeen. Generally speaking, their their starting fifteen or sixteen are locked in. Um, how how do you sort of reconcile it with that though? Because there, there's clearly competition in the backgrounds, in the background of that club. But you've sort of got those players, those locked in players that are that are all, always going to be there. Is that because They've done enough to know that they have earned their spot, and they continue to deliver. Or is it because they know in the background, if they drop their standards for a second, they're out. There's someone ready and waiting to take that spot from them.
2: Yeah, and that that's exactly what it is. It's the ability to find your level and maintain that level every week, and that's what those storm guys have done. They they've found their best, and they're you know they're at least at 85 to 90 percent of their best every week, or they know that. Yeah, one bad performance won't lose their spot. Maybe even two bad forms they won't lose their spot, especially those backline players. But if they have you know half a half a season of of just flat form, they're gone because there's too many good players in that club that'll take their spot, um, which was shown by Nick Hines last year. You know they 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 know that if they don't perform, they're gone. Yeah, guy like guy like Cameron Munster. Everyone, everyone sort of um, thinks you know he's a sort of you know has his issues off the field. His form is always pretty good, and sometimes it's elite. But it's not because, but he never ha- it's never bad. His form is always he's always a, two, a top two or three, five, eight in the competition. And we think Cam's had a bit of a flat three or four months of the season. That's compared to Cam. Yeah, you know that's not compared to everybody else, and that's the difference they they down their down form means they go from the best player in the competition to the third best player in the composition.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like you talk about consistency and that's 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 been one of the greatest uh, criticisms of the Knights, particularly over the past two years, is that inconsistency where um, you know the difference between our best and our worst is just it's just too far a gap. Whereas you look at a team like the Melbourne Storm and sort of that that difference between their best and their worst, I mean not, they weren't at their absolute best against the Panthers in that uh, preliminary final last year, and yet they only lost by 4 points. And it's that consistency of performance and and minimizing the gap between the best and the worst is uh, what you need to be doing to if you if you want to perform with those elite teams like your your Storm Panthers, Roosters, Souths. Yeah,
2: it's to sort of uh, making an equivalent to an, another sport. It's the New England Patriots. You know, they yeah. were they were only elite, really, at, at um, tight end um, and quarterback. The rest of their team was just very good, but they were very good every week. Every single week for 15 years, they were very good. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and that sometimes has hurt Melbourne in the finals last year. You get to an elimination final and you're not quite at your peak, you get knocked out. That That's sport. That's sport at, at the highest level. But it's the ability for year after year to your worst play be very good... That makes them that those clubs uh, elite
0: one of the other things that sort of stood out to me from uh, the the two adam o'brien podcasts that um he did do and you've already touched on one of them is that they do have goals this season that they're determined to meet and i sort of get the feeling that they've tapped in a little bit to our thinking on the season which is that you know this is what we want to achieve There are no excuses as to whether or not we don't achieve that because that's what we think that we're capable of. But one of the criticisms that Adam has gotten over the past couple of years is that he sort of doesn't really care enthusiastically enough about his players or that he sort of blame shifts. Now, I sort of got that impression a lot more about previous coaches and I won't go into details of that. Personally, I found Adam to be a very player-first coach when it comes to what he's trying to achieve at the Newcastle Knights. And I thought he showed that um, quite explicitly in the way that he was sort of referring to a lot of the players in the squad, what happened with Mitchell Pearce, you know, Clem and and JSAF. He definitely came across as a player-first coach who cares about those players uh, within the team.
2: I don't get the blank shift narrative. Yeah, it's a weird one. I've heard heard everywhere in that. Every word that man has said in the press, whether it be pre-match conferences, post-match conferences, podcasts, whatever, I've heard every word that man has said, and I've never once seen him blame anybody but himself. He's blamed the entire club. You know, he's told, he said that there's individual areas that we were down on a particular game or, you know, particular guys, they didn't put their best foot forward. But he's never named individuals. He's, yes. he's never, he's never blamed them for losses. Every single time we put a disappointing performance in, his words every time is. I need to prepare them better and we need to be better. I don't get narrative.
0: The closest I sort of felt, and you and I, I remember we were texting each other as soon as we heard the words, was um, I got a little bit nervous last year when he said something along the lines of, you know, if there are people in this club who don't want to get on board with the success that we're trying to achieve, then we'll just sort of move them on. Now I got really nervous about that because it sort of rang a little bit of the Anthony Siebold uh, mentality of what he'd been saying a lot at the Broncos. And I know, and at the time we did have siebs uh, as as our defensive coordinator. And I got a little bit concerned about that because I thought i I don't want us to go down that path because, as you said, that starts to sound a lot like you're saying other individuals are at fault for why we're we're not doing well, and I'm going to move them on. But, I think for a club like Newcastle, that actually is a mentality that you need to implement in our players because for too long, we've sort of represented ourselves as a club where you earn the, you know, you're, there's a birthright if you're a Newcastle play, a player born and bred to play for the Knights and that's when you make it. And we, we don't want that mentality anymore. We want premierships, premiership winners to be, well, that's when you, you've sort of made it. We want to continue on from that. So I think at the time, I might have misinterpreted it, but I think ultimately that's where that's where Adam was coming from.
2: Yeah, um, you're right. I, I do remember us discussing that, and we did have that concern that it was, you know, very Seabelt-esque. But what I've heard out of the coach since and people around the coach, different things, you know, different snippets, um, that was more a case of we want guys to... Want to leave these clubs? Uh, leave this club as a Premiership winner. We want these guys to their ultimate goal in rugby league is to be on that Knights board as a Knights Premiership player. The idea that has crept in this club and is dead set taking hold of the club for fifteen years is: once you're on the board and you've got your Knights player number, you've made it. Mm. And, he, and he and he was just no. You're not, you haven't made it until you're a Knights Premiership player, and that's what we all want.
0: Yeah, Adams obviously, I think a big part of why Kalen has some confidence at least at this early stage in terms of what he thinks that we can achieve. One thing though I did find sort of interesting was I think Adam is very realistic about Kalen Ponger in terms of he obviously wants Kalen to stay. He obviously rates Kalen exceptionally highly. You don't you don't give cap- the captaincy to a player you know otherwise I thought Adam, though, missed an opportunity to sort of knock some more speculation on the head about Kalen's future, where Barry did put him, put it to him. You're like, well, why hasn't Kalen sort of made that decision yet? Adam sort of sidestepped that a bit and sort of said more along the lines of, that will look after itself. We really just need to focus on playing football, f- playing and winning football games. I thought it was an opportunity missed by Adam there.
2: Yeah, I agree. The point would be that it doesn't matter. what Adam says there that speculation is always going to exist. Yeah. There's no, there's nothing Adam can say in that moment that that hasn't been said by Kalen himself. Correct. So Adam's probably, you know, Adam's probably just up to the back teeth with it. Yeah. He's, you know, and and I, you know, I'll be too. Like we, as as fans, we're up to the back teeth with it. You know, like I can only imagine what the in club term we feel because Kalen's literally come out and said, "I'm staying with this club. I want to be a Premiership winner here. The original contract." hasn't been sorted out because it doesn't have to be yet. You know, like there's nothing else the club can say. And you're right. right, Adam could have, you know, said all the things that we hope he'd say, but that would have changed nothing. So I think I'm right. just honestly got to have sort of been asked the question.
0: And look, you and I and we literally discussed this on uh, on one of our last pods where we just said um, it uh, it makes no difference anymore what they say in public. Like the day Cale and Pong Ponger said I'm staying, we still had news articles coming out saying, um, "Well, this is yeah. why we think he'll leave." And there's, there's really, it's sort of reached the point now where the best way to respond to it is just, uh, we just want to play, we just want to get out You're on right. the field and and um and win football matches and win a premiership.
2: The Daily Telegraph's season preview front page
0: has yeah, a character of
2: Kalen looking looking at a contract. Like that's the narrative around the Knights, and it won't change. Like there's nothing the club can do, and Kalen will sign the this year that he's going to stay and it'll go on next year. And then he'll sign a new contract next year. And it might be for five years. And after three months, people are going to go, Oh no, he's had enough. The Knights have lost two of their last three. He's out the door. Unfortunately, it's going to be the case until he retires.
0: I think, do you reckon there's anything in the fact that O'Brien decided to get on the media offensive this week with the double podcast sort of special, like, uh, you know, he's sort of, I don't think he's media shy, but I, I, I do think that there's something in the fact that he took this week as an opportunity to to get out there and and give you know some access via the media on the double front. Do you think there was any sort of thinking behind that, or it was just a dual opportunities that arose uh, in a spare week he had before we really start knuckling down for footy?
2: Yeah, I think it's both. I think you know he's keen to get those two things out of the way before the season kick, before he got into the first game week of the season. But I think he's up and about. I really think, as I said before, I really think Adam is really happy with it, with where the club is and he really wanted to push that. And the best way to push that is get on the Knights fans podcast um, uh, with the official club one especially and put it out there. Get members signed up. Get people coming to the games. Get you know, get people excited about the club again. Yeah. Because this club has been, as much as we all love it, as much as we enjoy going to the Knights, this club's been down and had a cloud over it now for 15 years. Mm. It's great to see Adam out there going, No, 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 stay with us. We're so close to being right there. Mm. You know, like if this falls into place, we're looking good. Get excited about your team again because that's what we, we should be. We're on the, we're really on the precipice now where if a few things go our way, we can really make that jump from a top eight team to a premiership chance.
0: Down the line. I thought it was interesting how genuinely excited he sounded about working with Joey. And we, because we discussed it last week as well, where we were like, well, how's Andrew going to handle being back with Newcastle? You know, is he going to be able to find that balance? Uh, Is he going to be too strong a personality? You know, he's been sort of saying all the right things. Kalen's been saying how much he loved it. Uh, But it was good to hear Adam as well, essentially saying it's, you know, (laughs) What do you say to an immortal? But he, he's worked his way into, you know, passionately and wholeheartedly joining the coaching staff to, um, to, to help us uh, get a premiership back to Newcastle.
2: Yeah, I found it interesting. I can't remember which one it was on, but one of them he mentioned that as much as Joey's done the halves coaching thing at other places, this is his passion. You know, he said, you can just see it in him, you know, the Knights are his passion. Yeah, he loves rugby league and he he wanted to stay involved in it, but the passion has been reignited like he's playing again. Mm. You know, it's, it, for him, it's all red and blue all the time. Now that And that was just music to a Knights fan's ears, you know, like it was exactly what he wanted to hear because we know Joe's a genius. There's no doubt about it. And my concern was when he came back to the club was that Adam being his own man, would try and keep a slight bit of a wall between him and Joey just because, you know, he doesn't want that that sort of Andrew Johns aura overtaking his authority over the club. Mm. But no, I was wrong. I was wrong. He's embraced that.
0: He, no, he actually very much has embraced it. And I think one of the things we overlooked over the offseason, at least before Christmas, was well, it's not just Andrew that's come back to the club. And obviously Danny Badiris is the football manager. But, you know, there was that photo of those four knights legends, uh, Joey Bedzie, uh Kurt Gidley, and Steve Simpson, with the coaching gear on, bringing it back. And so, you're right. Adam was brought in to revo- not, not revolutionise the club, but he was brought in to change the club culture. But it's it's actually quite refreshing to see someone doing that, not at the expense of of the culture that used to work. Like bringing those, because that, that's what's great about sports club you know yeah. those generational changes but we're all a part of it we're, we're all a part yeah. of this this club since 1988 and so the fact that adam was like yeah look i do want that cultural change I, I want us to be winners here but he's like well hey these are the blokes who used to win and they're a part of this club and they know what it means to win for this club hey come on in and bring that mentality here and share that with this next generation i i, I think that's one of the one of the better ways that uh, adam has sort of handled that that uh, newcastle knights culture
2: yeah, agree totally. And that you're right. That picture to me was those guys. We always had an issue with the Knights having the jobs for boys mentality, and it's been an issue for this club ever since the Gold Generation retired. But that photo didn't ring. That that photo ring. We've got Steve Simpson, who is a, who is you know, an all time great playing on the edge, and that's a weakness in this club. Mm. Beautiful. We've got Kirk Gidley, who's the fittest man that ever played rugby league for the Knights. Beautiful. That's exactly what he needs. You know, we've got Danny Medeiros, although he's, you know, he's in a football role, he's also on the field working with hookers. Beautiful. And then we've got the greatest of them all working with the other uh, league, league of our club, which is the, the halves, you know, like it's it's all you could ask for. They're not just guys that are great rugby league players. These are all guys that actually fix areas that this club needed fixing. Mm. And they and they bring the mentality of the winning culture and what it actually means to be a Newcastle night to the club again. And um, as he spoke about that, that Joey has talked to Kaelin and others about the pressure of being the superstar in Newcastle, Mm -hmm. the the pressure of wearing the red and blue in front of 20,000 every week, all those things that no one else will understand, but Joey understands because Joey lived it for 15 years.
0: Yeah. Um Yeah. it's funny what it's funny what you say about Kurt Gidley, you know the fittest man that's ever played for the Newcastle Knights. That's a very weak segue for me into someone else that Adam O'Brien did talk about at length. Uh, Kurt Gidley might have a rival for that tag. Apparently, Chris Randall is one of the fitter players that um, uh, Adam O'Brien has ever seen, and he's he's coached a fair few of them uh, in his time.
2: Yeah, and you get that from Chris. You know, the, obviously the 70 tackles on debut, tackled himself to a standstill. But, yeah, the, the way Adam was speaking about it, it's not just his ability to uh, to play you know, a full 80 minutes on the rugby league field. He just kills everybody, everything. You know, he's the strongest for his size. He wins, he wins all the um, endurance drills. He's the last man standing when they do things like the beat test. He just dominates it
0: all. Mm. I know we're sort of we're probably covering Mitchell Pearce a little bit more than I intended to uh, on 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 this week, you know, leading into the season. Um, but I sort of I think I think Mitchell's ro- Mitchell's part in it, as it were, or Mitchell's place in in the team last year, I think ties into a little bit of what Adam O'Brien was talking about, and this was on the Knights HQ podcast. It was disappointing for the team that they had to leave Newcastle and they couldn't play in front of the fans, you know, in our home games where we we actually do have a bit of an advantage under Adam. But the positive that came out of that was that going into that bubble last year in Queensland as that real tight unit actually brought the players closer together and probably played a a big part in creating that unity that got us on that wings win streak to uh, get us into the finals with time to spare.
2: Yeah, you talked about the um the 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 sort of the whole thing around living in each other's pockets, looking after each other's kids, and you know, as far as even supporting the players who's getting and, and the effect that that had on the players. And just that means you the Andy guy you, you might see a guy know that he's got three kids under five, and think, you know, well, that's obviously an issue. But actually see a player live with three kids under five, mm. understands that, yeah, he might be having a tired, bad day today because he's got three kids under five, you know? Like, all those little things that you just get to learn about a person by spending every day with them outside of work has a huge effect. As I've spent three I used to be in the Defence Force. And there's nothing like seeing someone 24-7 to actually understand them as a human being. And that's certainly going to be... a part that comes out of the bubble situation
0: yeah i'd actually i'd never thought about that before because you and i've been involved in in sporting clubs for the better sport for the better part of our our adult lives and you know especially when you do it on a social scale you sort of you see them at training you see them on game day you know you might have a few social events throughout the year your end of season trip but outside of the game itself you sort of you might have a few close relationships with some of the other, some of your other teammates, but not to that level that they would have experienced where you're in each other's pockets for weeks on end, Um, you know, playing footy with each other, you know, living alongside one another. It's a completely different perspective.
2: Yeah, it is. It is, you know, like the idea of understanding someone is so far removed in terms of you, you see them, you know, at work and you see them on, you know, Football players obviously go away overnight together when they're playing away and stuff, but to actually physically see them in their everyday lives outside of work is yeah it, it adds a whole different element to it.
0: So I'm going to bring us around uh, you know back to the beginning a little bit here in terms of so uh, Adam's gone out of his way to sort of quite clearly establish that there is a tight unit working here and we, we've got we've got some players who have found a way to really bond over the last six to nine months. I want to talk about the inclusion of two players then in the top thirty, which might have differing impacts on that. The first one is the one is someone that Adam O'Brien spoke about quite glowingly in the in this podcast, this in the podcast appearances this week, was the announcement that Edric Lee had earned his way back into the top thirty. It really does sound like Edric is possibly one of the more popular players amongst his teammates. That's ever played in in the red and blue of Newcastle.
2: Yeah, it was interesting to hear how he said the whole mood of training lifted when Edric was back. When Edric was back on the training field with the main squad, you know that, that's a big statement to say that a guy that has barely been seen for over twelve months now, um, yeah, got back onto the training paddock a few weeks ago with the rest of the boys, and the whole mood lifted. Um, the, the club certainly hold him in high esteem. So,
0: so Edric is a popular figure. But we've still got looming on the horizon the inclusion of Anthony Milford, who has the potential to be a, a sort of polarizing figure. Just and again, you know, it, it looks as if he's you know going to um, uh, navigate his uh, court proceedings to you know potentially allow him back to to playing in the NRL again. Um, but you would have thought that the Knights and, and the team would have done their due diligence on a a character like Anthony Milford to make sure that his character is going to fit within that cohesive unit that they're working so hard to create?
2: Yeah, there's no way the club would sign a figure. Controversial is not the right word, but it's sort of um, renowned for good and bad, like, like the MILF. There's no way the club would um, sign him without at least going through the senior playing group and talking to guys and speaking to other people that that know uh, Milf pretty well.
0: Mm. Another figure who's... And the reason this is all important is that... Because as, as we were sort of saying before, and this was one of the elements revolving around the Isaac Moses uh, interactions with the Knights, is that we've still got four... Or we had four spots left in our top 30 roster. Edric has absolutely taken one of those it looks like for all intents and purposes that milford upon being cleared will take one of those leo thompson though has earned one of the two remaining spots and i'm really excited by that 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 makes him available for round one and i think he's had um an outstanding preseason uh for a player so young with so much potential
2: yeah, new, new to the game, only been playing rugby league 18 months. Um, Yeah, in the trials, he looked like just a bit of untapped potential. Incredible shape, body for rugby league, uh, footwork, skill. Yeah, I can. you can see why the club got him in the first place, just mm. to give it a run to see how he goes. But the fact that he's now secured a top 30 spot before he's actually played a game for the club says you yeah, how well he's trained over the off season.
0: Would he get a top 30 spot if Lukey... Had been signed?
2: Um I mean probably not, because you don't have to initially because the, the um the development contract guys can play first grade because of the COVID situation. So probably not. But I think that the club wanna keep Leo long term. So this is a sort of a bit of an incentive to Leo and say, look, you know, you're now in the thirty, you're on the fringe of first grade, let's see what you can do, young man. And and that's a really good uh, way to look at it for the club. You know, like, if you see a guy that you think could be a real big part of your club in the future, give him that incentive. look, so You're so close, mate. You keep working hard, you're getting this team. You know, it's a really good situation to be in.
0: Yeah. Um, as Barry Tuohy did report as well, and, and just to sort of close it out, um, 28 are locked in. It looks like Anthony Milford will take the 29th spot. Um, the club... I mean, the club's depth at the moment is probably being tested a little bit with the hooking department because if um, Chris, the Chad Randall, goes down, uh, we are in a bit of a pickle. Um, so it probably looks like they might hold that thirty, the thirtieth spot in reserve, uh, in case they need to get um, a, a little bit more, a uh, div- little bit more depth in the hooking hooking role.
2: Yeah, and the club always likes to keep that spot open anyway. They've done it. In recent times, that's always always been sort of 28, 29 as the season's kicked off. Um, but yeah, no, the, if Chad goes, uh, if Chad, if Chris <laughs> <Sorry>. goes down, <laughs> if Chris goes down, the club's in real trouble because, you know, Curtin can play there and Phoenix, Phoenix can play there, but they're not specialist hookers and you can't play without a specialist hooker for a long period.
0: Newcastle are the premiers. I think it's fairly safe to say, mate, that uh, this, in a lot of ways, has felt like one of the longest off seasons I've ever experienced in my life, for, for a variety of reasons, and it's just really exciting that um, you know the women's game has kicked off, uh, the men's game isn't far away, and uh, it's just good to be back in footy. Yeah,
2: it's exciting, and it's mostly exciting to get to the game right in the live rugby league because we you know. We haven't been to a home game since the Cowboys. I think was the last one we've got to. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's so long since we've got we've been to see the boys
0: in the flesh, and yeah, I can't wait. You're coming. You're coming down to um, the SCG next next Saturday.
2: That is definitely the plan. Family commitments allowing, that's definitely the plan.
0: <laughs> no, I, that's I'm exactly the same. I'm sort of uh, planning my weekend around it, and um, I, I think. I think more than anything, I'm just hanging to go and see the, um, the men's team play live again. Uh, I think the other reason for me as well is that, you know, over the last six years, my cousin has done enough coming up to Newcastle to watch footy with me. I think it's, uh, I, I think I've only re- returned the favourite once in the, in all that time. So I'm definitely due to um, to make the, the journey down. Um but yeah, I think footy at the SCG, as you said, it's probably not the best ground to to watch it in. But you know, there is that history there, and um, you know, it's sort of uh, it's sort of be good to be back amongst it and and to feel feel a part of it. And um, yeah, I'm just itching to see see how the boys go.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. You know, we've talked about it for a few episodes now. We've been, you know, we've been talking about in our chat groups and online and that and listened to all the media for you know four or five months now it's needed to start
0: now bretto uh in case there's anybody who's not really following us on uh, twitter or instagram or um tiktok at uh, bay53pod um, get get on board with that. Uh, one of the things that you sort of did, to, or we are starting up uh, for the coming season, is a Super Coach League. Get on that.
2: We are. I've put the. I, th- I think the, that first group might be full actually now, so we might need to start a second group. And I'll I'll put that uh, group code out once we um, once we get it established. But yeah, there's going to be some prizes for the winners, and we're going to give a bit of update on the pod, and yeah, another a bit of super cage, you know get a knight's heavy team like myself but um no it'll be a bit of fun
0: now something else that we are and we'll probably talk about this more on our um our season preview uh once we, once we get it we'll see if we can rope harry back in for that one is the uh the robbie M's for the season and uh we want to get uh a fan vote on it so i, I haven't had a chance to talk with um uh, with Bredo in too much detail about it. We're sort of still trying to flesh out the, uh, the scoring system for that. Um, but hit us up. Let us know if you're interested. Um, we, we really would like to know what people who listen to what we produce, you know, we want to see what your thoughts are in terms of how you rate players, um, how you think they're going each week, and uh, if you think they're going to uh, stack up against, uh, against our, um, our scoring each week. Yeah, and it allows will have
2: to take a bit of advice out of it. Like, we, we you know, if we, we sort of think that a certain player is being a bit average, but in, in the fans' vote on the Robbie Ends, he's going really well, we, then we've got to look into that. We? We've got to see what are we missing, what are fans seeing in that player is contributing to a team that we're not seeing. And it just makes it, you know, a bit easier and a bit better quality of the podcast.
0: Yeah, so um, hit us up, get on board. We'll, we'll release some more details, obviously, before um, round one. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think um, in between the super coach and the Robbie M's this season, we'll have more than enough to keep everybody interested in the socials. Brett, oh, I think we'll I think we'll wrap at least this uh, this version up. We do send out our usual belated thanks to A Plus Contracting and Poly Welding. Please contact them for all your contracting and poly welding needs. But um, I still, mate, I still you know, tick over a month into this. I'm still always thankful for the fact that um, A-plus has jumped on board with us and remained with us for, for this long, even. <laughs> oh,
2: that's back. Two weeks, Two
0: weeks that last, but yeah, we are a month. Amazing. <laughs> um, Brett, I'll, I'll, um, I'll let you go, and uh, we'll see everybody again soon, and uh, yeah, keep an eye out uh, for that season uh, preview that should be coming everyone's way shortly.